And it can't just be about designing high-tech vehicles and selling those. Yeah, it can't just be about the product. So this is the opportunity I see for the automotive industry is to really take that radical shift in thinking away from where our business model is about designing, producing, and selling hardware that may have software underneath it to we are really providing a mobility experience. Welcome to CEO on the Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm Gail Lance, and I'm here to help you think differently, solve big problems, and inspire change. It's tough to do on your own and even with a team, but it is possible. So let's get started. Welcome back and happy holidays. I hope you're enjoying the holiday season or whatever season it might be when you're listening. I truly believe this special episode is one that you won't want to miss. In a world where the automotive industry is shifting gears faster than ever, there's a pressing need for reinvention. So this episode offers insights that can drive this transformation and revolutionize the way we think about the automotive industry and supply chain as well. So be sure to share this episode with anyone you know who is in a field related to automotive and listen for ideas that you can apply to your own organization regardless of your industry. I hope it challenges you to think about your own industry because there is no industry that's immune to change. And practicing reinvention mindset and reinvention skills is something I preach now. So I'm thrilled to bring back a previous expert guest I've had on the podcast before, a very impressive colleague who shares similar passion and ideas around the need for reinvention. She's Kathy Fisher, based in North Carolina. Kathy is founder and president of Quistom, LLC. With over 35 years of respected expertise in the quality field, Kathy helps manufacturers in multiple industry sectors find hidden money in their operations, eliminate customer complaints permanently, and develop a proactive quality culture to achieve rapid business growth. She's recognized as a global thought leader in operational excellence through the practical application of management system standards and quality tools. She's worked extensively in automotive manufacturing starting her engineering career at General Motors' AC spark plug division in Flint, Michigan. Kathy was involved in several plant startups, including BMW Manufacturing in Greer, South Carolina. Uh, I've been there myself to that location and had the opportunity to participate in the BMW Performance Driving Experience, where I was driven by a professional driver at terrifying speeds going around curves, feeling like I would lose my life. As someone with motion sickness, it was thrilling and memorable in more ways than one. Anyway, I love Kathy's perspective on how to revolutionize how we even think about the automotive industry. One of the standout takeaways is the incredible potential that can be unlocked when we harness the fresh perspectives of younger talent. You'll discover how the automotive industry is navigating or should be navigating this rapid evolution, and you'll possibly reshape the way you approach reinvention as it applies in your own field. As you think about navigating your future, you should be in the driver's seat. So fasten your seatbelt as you rev up for change. Enjoy my conversation with Kathy Fisher.
Kathy, welcome back to CEO On The Go podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be back and sharing what's new and emerging in the automotive industry. (laughs) Yes, you're the perfect person. I know you're fresh off of a conference and you have some insights there. Um, You and I both like to play in the area of reinvention and consider ourselves to be reinvention practitioners of sorts. So I would love to hear what's going on in the automotive industry. And then maybe we can bridge into some lessons learned that can apply to leaders in any industry. But yeah, bring us up to speed. We're all curious. Absolutely. Well, you know, when we think about what's happening in the automotive industry today, we are definitely in a significant shift. And I even want to say it's a revolution. It absolutely has got to be at that level of revolution. So there's a lot of innovation that's happening. Certainly, there has been a lot of innovation, especially in the past 10 years, when we think about electrification, autonomous vehicles, um, different, uh, let's say, approaches to mobility, really. You know, you hear people talking about not just automotive, but mobility um, overall. And there's a lot of talk about innovation being attached to things that I see as, as more reinvention. And it's surprising to me that organizations don't uh, put as much value or recognize the value that reinvention can actually bring into their business, because that's much more iterative you and I know it, uh, reinvention is really a process. It's an ongoing process of the business that is not a one and done. It's not an isolated event. It's not just a project. It's something that becomes part of the culture of the organization. It's part of the DNA of the organization and how you operate. And you're constantly looking at those signals for the opportunities of reinvention. You're uh, designing those reinventions, and then you're also following through in terms of the implementation. What I'm seeing right now in automotive is that there's definitely confusion between innovation and reinvention. Nobody's really talking so much about reinvention. It's more they're tagging everything as innovation, but I'm seeing some of the things more as reinvention. Lumping it together. So how would you make that distinction? Yeah. So so from my standpoint, when I think about innovation, and I think especially about the automotive industry, what I see as the future is the automotive industry is now the mobility experience industry. We we have to start looking at what we're doing in our industry space in a broader context of how consumers, how how the public in general is utilizing mobility. And I've always said mobility is is about freedom. And of course that's that's part of our that's part of our DNA of of America, right? It's it's about freedom. That's why we love transportation so much. That's why we love our cars so much because they provide us with personal freedom. We have to be able to extend that concept of freedom um, and mobility as an access to freedom for everybody. And it can't just be about designing high-tech vehicles and selling those. Yeah, it can't just be about the product. So this is the opportunity I see for the automotive industry is to really take that radical shift in thinking away from where our business model is about designing, producing, and selling hardware that may have software underneath it, to we are really providing a mobility experience. And what that means is the way that we interact with consumers, or I'm going to call it the public, because when I say consumers, it's not just you and I who would be buying a vehicle, for instance, it's any type of mobility 
opportunities that would be available um, from a commercial standpoint, from a personal standpoint, et cetera. And we need to take those consumers, the public, and put them at the center of the table. And then that table is surrounded by the original equipment manufacturers, the OEMs, as we call them, the tier one suppliers, the tier two suppliers, the software developers, the system integrators, um, the uh, charging infrastructure networks. It's all of these different players are working together. I literally have this vision of this round table and all of us are around the perimeter holding hands with our focus, our ears and eyes, all of our senses focused on the consumer, on, on the public. And responding to what does a mobility experience, what is an exceptional mobility experience look like for that consumer, for the public, and working together to create that. Yeah, that's wow. that's where we need to go. <laughs> that's exciting uh, and a huge challenge or opportunity. You know, I'm always the optimist. But um, yeah, just looking at how consumers like to buy vehicles. Now, I heard recently you can even buy cars on Amazon. Is that true? Yes, you heard it here first. <laughs> Actually, when that came, when that news came out, I think it was at the end of last week, Hyundai announced that they are going to be selling their vehicles through Amazon. And my dear friend Terry, um, she called me up and she said, Kathy, you called it like three or four years ago when we started talking about how the automotive industry has got to think of itself more as a supply chain than just manufacturers. And we had said, look, you know, the, the real threat, I don't know if it's a negative threat, but maybe the real motivation is Amazon sells everything else. They're going to start selling cars. And when they do, like they are like the number one supply chain organization globally you know, I think making on the tune of $34,000 per second in 2022, you can't compete with that, right? So as soon as they start selling cars, then what's, where's the space for anybody else to sell cars? Yeah. And just look at how uh, consumers are changing. I mean, even, you know, my mother was still driving in her early 90s and, you know, probably not the right kind of vehicle for her. <laughs> but, you know, to just have it be more consumer driven would be really interesting to see how that looks. Exactly. And it's it's looking at that entire um, continuum of who are the consumers of mobility. It's not just those of us who have a driver's license and can afford to purchase a vehicle. It's, as you said, you know, folks, as they are aging, they are living into their 80s, 90s, even super agers into their 100s. And they're still capable of wanting to get out. You know, they still have that desire to get out, to have that personal freedom, but they may not necessarily feel comfortable having to understand the technology in the current cockpit of, of an automobile. The other end of the spectrum, you look at the um, Gen Z, none of them care about owning a car. Most of them don't even have their driver's license. I'm amazed that my niece and nephew, my husband's niece and nephew, like they don't, they don't have cars. They don't have driver's license. They don't care. You know, they just, they, their life is so much um, lived in uh, the virtual space. They do still need to consume mobility, but their idea of a mobility experience is I need to get from here to here. What's the quickest and easiest way to do that? And it may look different depending on the circumstances. You know, I just, I think about recently I was in Salt Lake City for an event and it's a beautiful city. Um, there was like all these different options of mobility available. There were people on scooters. 
Um, there's, of course, Uber. It, you know, there's the bikes, the electric bikes and all this type of thing, your traditional taxis and that. And I was thinking to myself, um, during the day, I was walking from where I was staying to the convention center. And I realized oh, that'd be kind of fun to maybe try an electric scooter. But then that evening, I was in full evening dress. And I'm not going to get an electric scooter, especially as hilly as it is there. So I want to be able to access a different type of mobility experience um, and, and, you know, call an Uber under those circumstances. So that's really, I think, the younger generation, that's the way they view transportation. It's more about mobility and a variety of mobility experiences to choose from based on the circumstances um, and their need at the moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it seems like you're naturally forward thinking um, and that serves you well in, in the role that you have and the clients that you're working with. Um, I guess, you know, to, to talk about what leaders can do to try to step into uh, it could be some variation of your vision, but something will be changing, right? I was curious to know what your advice would be in terms of the kinds of skills they need to be developing or attitudes. I just interviewed uh, another really fascinating expert on growth hacking um, and uh, or growth sciences, as it's called now. And we were talking a lot about mindset and being open to experimentation and failing quickly and all of that. So what is your experience or what would you suggest for leaders who get it, who say, you know, we really do need to be preparing differently for the future? Yeah. So I think that's to me, there's like three different considerations. The first one that comes to my mind is being open to reinvention, like having that reinvention mindset. And part of reinvention certainly does link on to innovation. So taking those giant leaps, those revolutions, if you will, but uh, kind of baking into the way that an organization does business and establishing a culture, like you said, of experimentation, failing fast. Okay, what what did we learn from this? And this is something I find every time I'm talking, especially with my mentees, and they'll tell me about something that's happened. I'll say, okay, so what what was the learning from that? What's the what's the lemonade <laughs> that came from that particular situation, and how are you going to carry that forward? I think leaders have an obligation to create that kind of environment. And the younger generation expects that. They expect that their voice can be heard and that they can experiment without um, fear, you know, with, without concern that um, they're, they're judged at every outcome uh, so that they can learn. They, and they definitely want to learn as well. That's what I was going to say. I really see them as being most eager learners. Yeah, yeah and I love that. I yeah. love that because I'm I'm so much about learning, continuous learning as well. Um, I think the second piece comes back to really being consumer focused. Um, and we talk a lot about that, but when I look at what we're actually doing, especially in the automotive industry, there's always been this kind of glass wall <laughs> that exists between what we're doing on the manufacturing side and what's really happening um, in the consumer's world. And this is why, you know, this, this epiphany, as I was um, participating recently in an industry conference and listening to kind of the traditional automakers talk about what are the problems that they're grappling with and what are they trying to bring forward as the future, um, their vision is still limited to the hardware and maybe creating some software into the hardware, but they're not thinking about um, as an industry we have the rare opportunity to reinvent how we show up. What is the value that we're actually bringing forward to the consumer? Um, and that that's a bold choice, a bold direction to take. 
but that's the winners. That's where the winners are going to come from. And in order to be successful at that, we have to be open to seeing and listening um, and feeling the experience of the consumer and then embodying that in what we're creating as those experiences, those mobility experiences. And I would say then the third thing, <laughs> and this is for all my friends that are kind of my generation, Gen X and like the late baby boomers that are, you know, kind of uh, rolling out of the workforce. Um, it's no longer our time. If we cannot embrace technology and really commit ourselves to supporting the young people and preparing them for the future, then we just need to go home. We just need to go home because we cannot sit and hold these places. The clock is moving much faster than it ever has. And the destruction that's taking place when we're not advancing technology, we're not um, uh, you know, leveraging all that's available today, AI and um, integrated systems that when we're not bringing that into our organizations and operating from that standpoint, first of all, we're operating way too slow <laughs> if we're not bringing in the technology. And secondly, the younger generation is looking at that and saying, yeah, I mean, like I've got more technology power in my cell phone than I do in my job. Why do I want to show up over there? And so we're alienating the next generation. And so Who's going to carry forward? And this this is what concerns me about the automotive industry, is we really have a, a gap, kind of a deficit, especially in the millennial generation. We lost a lot of our of our brain power in um, you know during the economic crisis two thousand eight two thousand nine. Uh, COVID washed out a lot of other folks that were just kind of like you know well maybe I should retire. So a lot of brain trust went out there, and we have not done the work of engaging the millennials, and now even the Gen Z, and making the automotive industry an attractive career choice that the future generations can actually see a trajectory of growth and contribution that they can make to society through the industry. Yeah. And I really see the younger generation as key to experimenting. They do it so well. Oh, we'll try this. Oh, that didn't work. We'll try that. <laughs> we'll push another button. We'll yeah. try something new. Um, and like you said, the speed at which they're moving is is faster anyway. So there's so much to leverage in that generation. And that's what I love about the young people. Um, you know, I've got quite a few mentees that I that I work with. And I, I hate to even call them mentees because we have a mentoring relationship. And I'm mentored just as much from them as they are from me. Um, I it, I love that they keep me um, looking into what's new and um, that they're really helping me accept that experimenting and failing fast and, you know, taking the learnings and carrying that forward, which is not something that was necessarily acceptable early on in my career, in my generation. You know, it was like you had to get it right. And if you didn't, then it could be career destroying or you'd be put out to pasture. Or, yeah. yeah. And that's a lesson that really translates across so many industries. There's so much greater risk in staying the same or always focusing on what could go wrong and, and uh, you know, becoming so resistant to change. Um, it'll sink you fast. So. Good. Well, I know that you have so many resources too, just on the supply chain side too. And so I, I would, wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about finding the hidden money. I know we talked about that before, but it's worth bringing up again as we're you know around the time of the new year. And I'm sure leaders are thinking, you know, what what can we do to try to leverage uh, what we can? And, and I'd love for you to talk about why you created that resource and how people can find it. 
Yeah, it's like, so where is the hidden money? And there's hidden money like all over the supply chain. <laughs> we tend to focus um, first when we you know, go into organizations that are manufacturers, because a lot of the work we do, of course, is with the automotive manufacturers. We'll take a look at the shop floor and you can literally walk through the shop floor and in 10 minutes find $10,000 of value that you can recover. Um, and it's not just, okay, dollars in the pocket. It's actually improved operational efficiency efficiency. It's um, increasing the engagement of the workforce in that work environment that they feel an ownership and um, you know confidence in being able to execute successfully in their process. Uh, but in the broader scale, we also can look for the opportunity of finding hidden money in the supply chain. And that's where our 24 essential supply chain processes really help organizations focus on what, in the automotive space in particular, focus on what are those processes that either get overlooked or maybe they're kind of, there's there's a glancing touch on them, but not well-defined and are actually costing their business tremendously. And when we talk about these 24 essential supply chain processes, it's everything from you know the, the business uh, planning side of it, um, things such as setting objectives from a supply chain perspective, as well as contingency planning, risk assessment, um, down to very basic operational things. One of my kind of pet peeves is in the automotive industry, ignoring service parts planning. And <laughs> You know, I think every time we have some crisis, that's like the first thing everybody is concerned about. You know, the recent um, uh, UAW strike that we had, uh, a number of the parts distribution centers were taken offline, and that directly impacts the dealership. So people are taking their vehicles to the dealerships to have repairs done or just routine maintenance, routine service on it. And, oh, sorry, you, we're going to have to keep your car for, you know, a week. Yeah, we all we all felt that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And and so some of the stories I hear about that, and then when you dig behind it, it's like, well, why why don't they have the parts? Well, there's not a prioritization about service parts planning, and many of the manufacturers, whether it be the OEMs or even the suppliers who are providing those parts, um, and then just how we're managing that distribution network um, of those uh, service parts across the service centers, the dealerships, and even the independent service centers and that, um, there's a lot of opportunity to streamline that. Here's yet again where I think Amazon is poised to, to come in and um, show their expertise from a supply chain perspective. And then, you know, we can also look to how, from a supply chain perspective, are we actually managing our suppliers? So kind of looking at holistically the overall supply chain. Um, and there's been improvements. There's no doubt about it. I think we had a lot of great lessons learned from the um, the semiconductor crisis that we are just emerging from. <laughs> I would say this year is definitely kind of like the, the tail end of that particular crisis. However, as we move forward, especially with electrification and even more so with autonomous vehicle technology, what we think about as um, our supply chain is no longer a supply chain. It's that supply ecosystem. That's that round table that I talk about where we've got um, software developers, we have app providers, we have um, you know, other service uh, services like um, a, a charging stations and maybe battery um, battery recycling and, and battery uh, exchange programs and this type of thing. All of these partners have to come together and we cannot approach that from a hierarchical perspective, which is how we've operated as an industry for decades. We need to be coming to the table uh, in collaboration. 
And that can only happen when we all are accepting each other's value that we can bring to the experience of the consumer from an equal standpoint. Yeah, so good. Well, we will include a link to the resource that you have in the show notes so that people can learn more about how to access that. I think that would be really valuable. Um, Before we wrap up, you know, we've talked so much about the importance of reinvention, thinking differently, trying to, you know, move with change or get ahead of change. I, I love to leave my listeners with some practical ideas to the extent that we can provide that. Um, I'm trusting that people have listened to what you've said and they're thinking, wow, you know, the the light bulb is really <laughs> a little brighter now and I'd like to take some action. Do you have some suggestions on what some practical steps are, like uh, maybe a conversation that a leader needs to start with or action that they should take? Yeah. And and, and I'm, and I'm going to say that this, what I would share is really applicable to any industry sector, although my framework, of course, is, is the automotive side. So, you know, I, I think the key thing is um, the, the question, the key question would be, um, how can we as an organization embrace change as an opportunity? And I kind of liken this to whenever we're working with organizations on problem solving, problem solving has kind of a negative connotation. Anytime a problem rolls into the organization, customer complaint or something, it's like hot potato. Nobody wants to touch it, right? Um, and I sense there's always that same kind of anxiety around change. So we have to start with viewing change as a positive, as an opportunity, and not just saying that, but like really believing that and looking at change from um, a, a, an experimental learning mindset. Um, and and that's got to involve everybody. That's the other piece, I think, is um, organizations today cannot afford to operate in silos. They cannot afford to operate even in departments or hierarchically. We have to think about our business in terms of the value stream to our customers and involve all of the players, whether they're physically inside of our organization or working for our organization or partners to our organization um, so that we are aligning all those inputs, all those voices of um, opportunity for change and and t- and testing and trying things out experimenting and learning from those experimentations there's a piece of of change management which oftentimes is skipped which is documenting what we've learned right <laughs> capturing those lessons learned and i think a lot of organizations especially when the experiment goes wrong um there's a kind of shame and we don't want to admit it and we don't want to definitely want to don't want to have evidence <laughs> that happened right but that's actually the benefit of going through the process um of of change and doing that experimentation is is to learn um and you know one of the things i was listening to the story that um Walter Isaacson wrote about um Elon Musk it's it's a really good biography that he did and some of the early experiments that were happening at SpaceX, these were like high dollar experiments. I loved that their their view was, okay, we know that there's risks. And it was interesting because I said, okay, we've identified like our top 10 risks of doing this launch. Let's go ahead and do the launch. We know what the risks could be. There may be some other risks that we don't know about. We're going to find out. Okay, they did the launch. It didn't work well. They learned the 11th risk. 
okay, let's add that to our list because that's not going to happen again. And that really, that approach so much embodies what the future of all of our industries need to be about in order to be successful. Yeah, great. Wow. Well, I know you could keep going and I love that you're so passionate about the topic and appreciate your sharing your insights today. I wanted to ask how people can reach out to you or learn more about your business and the work that you do. What's the best way for them to to learn more? Absolutely. Well, visit our website, quistem.com, Q-U-I-S-T-E-M.com. We are also in partnership with uh, QAD, um, an ERP solution provider, and we co-host a podcast called The Auto Supply Chain Profits. Check it out because we are helping to define the future of the automotive industry um, via the auto supply chain profits and, and really providing kind of what is that vision of a mobility experience and a supply chain oriented operation. Yeah, fantastic. Well, again, thanks so much for spending a little time today. Um, I wish you all the best in the new year ahead and continuing to get your message out and making the the impact that I know you're making already expanding that to, to be even greater. So thanks so much again. Thank you. Thank you. This is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. And for everyone else listening in, I hope you have a great rest of the week stepping into your vision in new ways or reinventing your organization in the way that you need to and doing the work that matters to you. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you want to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.